Luke's Gospel. This is week two of our March series that we entitled Becoming the House of Prayer. We are teaching through the month of March on this particular topic. And uh, we are wanting to get the first quarter of 2009 started off right. And so we began, remember the fast. And then we began to talk about faith in February. And now we're up to prayer. And if you want to catch up, you can get caught up by either ordering a CD at the information desk or you can go to our website, legacycathedral.org. Hit the media link and you can go to iTunes and they'll load you up with the right player, even if you don't have that. And you can pick up those messages free of charge. So uh, you might want to know that as well. We've got people listening. It is amazing to me. We've got people listening all over the world. That just, that just blows my mind when I, when I think about that. And if I'm not mistaken, Dan, and, and you can shake your head yes or no, did I, did something, I know we have X amount of unique visitors, but you were saying 500 hits a day or something like that or come, come across that website. So he's shaking his head, yes, I heard that right. 500 hits a day. Is that not amazing? I just, it, technology blows my mind. I, I'm really, I'm, I'm technologically impaired and I'll, oftentimes... I'm just not very good. You know, I, I finally got the wireless hooked up in the office and I told, I told Dan in the middle of the week, it's like I had to give him a praise report, you know, because he's kind of technologically savvy. And so I just thought, I did it, I did it. I got my Wi-Fi going, hallelujah. You know, that really, that really excites me. I know what you're saying. You're saying that's really sad, Pastor. That's, that's sad. All right. You saw on the screen overhead, we have our prayer guides. They're just real simple prayer guides. I took that off. Could you not tarry one hour? Some people like a little guide in their prayer time and you can begin to extend your moments before the Lord. You might want to pick one of those up. I was glad to see that everybody signed up for every waking hour. Thank you so much. I was a little concerned last week because we didn't have every waking hour signed up. And so I thought I was going to be uncovered from about 10 to noon. But uh, people signed up and uh, we're covered. So every hour of every waking moment, somebody's praying for you, for me, for our church. So uh, I don't know, I think that's neat too. And then uh, 9.30, we had a good group this morning come out for pre-service prayer. And I was telling the men, I was telling Iron Men last Tuesday, and guys, some of you guys may want to link up to this. We're not having, obviously, Iron Man this Tuesday, but the following Tuesday, we're going to... Uh, going to link up and we're going downtown the guys are the warriors and we decided we're going to go downtown and do a little warrior walking and begin to pray and uh i'd mentioned that i think a couple months ago maybe but uh, we're gonna we're gonna get all that pulled together for next week from tuesday and uh we're gonna go and begin to believe god i believe prayer changes things come on if you really believe that then you'd pray differently probably and we believe that prayer changes things. And so we're just not going to teach and talk about it, but we're going to implement a few things and see God make it a tremendous difference in our lives and in the life of our community. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. There's, I guess, an old saying. I'm not suggesting it's a good saying, but it is an old saying that when all else fails, you can pray. Yeah. Well, there may be another saying that goes along with that, but the one I was thinking about was praying. When all else fails, 
you can pray. And it's kind of a sad statement because it is a statement, unfortunately, of how we look at praying and our priority with regards to prayer. And it probably reveals our real attitude at times or perspective concerning it. And so we need to break that. If all else fails, pray. No, pray and then nothing will fail. So it'll be the will of God. So turn in your Bibles. If you've opened it up to the Gospel of Luke, let's learn a little bit more about it. Luke 22, 22, beginning with verse 39. Luke 22 and 39. I talked last week about Jesus coming in after the triumphal entry, cleaning out the temple, saying, my house will not be a den of thieves, but it will be called the house of prayer. And I just got caught up in sort of the passion happening. And so I want to read to you the account of him praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. I've never, never taught from this passage before that I recall, may have made mention of it. Don't recall ever teaching from it specifically. But as I was reading and studying this week, I mean, I told Trace. I said, I got some, I got some revelation. I do. I, I have some revelation. I, I, there are some things that I had never seen before. Now, I know you, you are a sharp bunch. And you've probably seen this for years. I'm just now catching up. But I hope you have ears to hear because I believe the Holy Spirit's just going to just bring some real insight into your prayer life that if you'll get a hold of this, there are going to be some powerful things that are going to happen in your life. Come on now, we've got to get some power back happening in our life. So in Luke 22, let me read. I'm going to read just a distance, but I'm going to use the whole Garden of Gethsemane account to help us understand what I've entitled the effects of prayer. The effects of prayer. Verse 39. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray lest you enter into temptation. Verse 47. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude. Everyone say multitude. It was getting crowded in the garden. A multitude and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? And uh, when those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touched his ear. And he healed him. And I'm going to stop right there. The effects, the effects of prayer. What I've read to you in Luke's gospel is one of the four accounts, all four gospel accounts, record Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And before the events of the crucifixion begin to unfold, you need just a little bit of explanation to know how those hours were prefaced. Because 
most of us are aware of the fact, in fact, if you've been to Encounter, we try to underscore that and underline that beyond, beyond anything you've ever experienced before, that, that the crucifixion and the events of the Passion there, when He is finally arrested, and He's taken and He's flogged, He's whipped, He's beaten, He is humiliated, He has to bear His cross, He's taken to Golgotha's hill, He's killed brutally there. All of us know we should that it was one of the most horrific moments in all of human history. It defies description. It defies imagination. If you'd ever seen The Passion of the Christ from Mel Gibson, which is what we showed just a couple brief clips on an encounter weekend, I oftentimes remind the folks that have come to that weekend that that in and of itself has been tamed a little bit. It has been brought back from what actually happened uh, to Jesus when it came time for him to give his life for all of us. But I've mentioned to you previously that I believe Jesus was a model. I believe he was a prototype. The Bible says that he was the first fruit of many. That phrase, first fruit of many, means that he was, he was the, if you'll just allow this and not think it to be uh, irreverent, but, but oftentimes an automobile manufacturer will build a car and they'll put that car out in order that everyone can see it and they'll market it and they'll want people to sort of get, you know, a, 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 a desire for it and they call that a prototype. And Jesus was a prototype of spirituality. He was the first fruit of, of a person who could begin to walk a certain way, talk a certain way, demonstrate things in a certain way. He was, he was exampling to us what, what life could be like if we embraced him and we understood how to implement the principles of the kingdom. Jesus understood the spiritual dimension. Jesus understood the resources of the inner man. And so when he gets to Gethsemane, Gethsemane, if you'll just step into that for a moment, Gethsemane, I believe, was a teaching moment. As everything else was in his life, an instructional modeling, I believe Gethsemane was a teaching moment for the disciples and for us as it begins to contrast two totally different ways of handling adversity. It, it contrasts two totally different ways of handling stress, of handling destiny, of handling injustice. Can I ask this morning, any one of you ever felt like you went through a situation and it was unjust? Do I have a witness here? You felt like there was injustice with that. I mean, there was betrayal. Anyone here ever feel like they've been betrayed? Yeah, man, I, I think that's a across-the-board human happening. And, and, and we begin to see a contrast on how you handle even your enemy. And, and so we read here that Jesus is praying before the, the events we're most familiar with, with regards to the crucifixion. He's praying. He's brought some of the disciples with him who, in the midst of all of this turmoil, begin to do some things like, sleep now the bible here says it was because of their sorrow so perhaps they had somewhat of an understanding of what was going on and 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 they're sleeping i started to think about why you would sleep at a moment like this i could be clinical depression it could be fear and and so we see the disciples just just sort of checking out here for just a moment when jesus begins praying and then all of a sudden uh, the guards come to arrest him. And then we see Peter rising up and cutting off an ear. 
He will later deny the Lord and claim he doesn't even know him. We find the treasure of the group, Judas, coming and betraying him. We see all of them running away from him. And I want you to notice there is not one disciple that we can use as an example of being steady in the garden. Not one. When Christ has showed up, when, when a crazy, out-of-control situation showed up, the disciples scattered. Jesus was the only one in the garden. And yet it was Jesus who, being in the midst of this incredible crisis, stressful... I mean, those words don't even begin to label what's about ready to happen. But he's in the middle of this unbelievable situation and the Bible says that he's praying and the Bible specifically says that as he prays, he's in anguish. He's in agony. Now the word agony, and I'm not going to put all this on the screen because I've watched you long enough now. Nobody writes down the Greek anyway, so I'll just tell you what it means. It's agonizo for those of you that are really like me, but that doesn't mean anything to most people. Agony. It literally means a struggle. As he was praying, there was a struggle. There was a fight. There was great exertion. There was great effort. The Bible is telling us and wants to underscore that, that as he's praying, I mean, he's, he's in pain. He's in anguish. He's in conflict. Anybody else besides me ever pray in that moment like that? And yet he does. He prays. And something distinguishes him even in the midst of the most intense struggle in human history. You see, Jesus didn't just do the ministry and when it seemed it was crumbling, he said, well, I guess everything else failed, so I guess I'll pray. I guess nothing else is working out now, so I guess all I've got left to do is pray. No, he prayed because he understood the effects of prayer. While everyone else in their crisis moment, and can I just share this with you? The reason God allows crisis into our life listen to me, is because it is the moment that it is revealed to you exactly what it is you trust. That's why crisis comes. We need crisis on occasion. Now, a lot of us live in crisis constantly. I'm not sure that's the will of God either. But every now and then crisis comes in order to underscore what it is that we're really trusting, what it is that we really believe. You don't know what you really believe until crisis comes. Then you'll figure out what it is you really believe. Oh, everybody, when anybody's on the mountaintop, God is good, I love the Lord, and all the rest, but you just wait and watch them in the valley. That's when you'll see where their belief system really is. And so so this crisis comes, and, and everyone else, all the disciples begin to revert to their flesh. They're picking up swords, they're ready to fight. They're cutting off ears, they're, they're snoozing, they're sleeping, they're not even there. And yet Jesus demonstrates the steadfastness and the effects of praying even in the most difficult of circumstances when everything seems like it's crumbling. And he was demonstrating to them and he's demonstrating to us all of what we have available to us if we'll just get a hold of this. Now, I'm going to go through just a couple things here and and I think this will be real practical for you. The first thing I want to mention is what does Gethsemane represent? Like I said, I've not taught on this much, but I think it's important for us just to linger here a moment. What does Gethsemane represent? Gethsemane was a garden, obviously. Some think it was the exact same place where Adam fell. 
Now, we'll never know if that be true or not. I don't know if that was the exact place where Adam fell. The symbolism, I think, is on target, though. You see, the first Adam lost his destiny in a garden, did he not? The second Adam embraced and resolved destiny in this garden. Dominion was lost in the first garden when the senses were empowered and and the senses were solicited. And there Adam and Eve, the first human beings, handed over their authority and handed over their dominion to the enemy himself. But it's in this garden, Gethsemane, where dominion was restored. And we see the power of the Spirit in action. You say, in Gethsemane? Yeah, in Gethsemane. I'm going to show you in just a moment. If you're ever going to do anything great for God, hear me. You're going to have your Gethsemane. I'll say it again. If you are believing God for great destiny and great purpose and great promise, hear me. If Jesus is the first fruit of all of God's will and purposes, this is what I figure. I figure if God's major plan, if God's number one purpose of redemption of the human race. I mean, if that's God's number one plan, if he allowed his number one plan to go through certain features and processes and he allowed his number one plan to experience certain crises and challenges and heartaches and betrayals and denials, this is what I'm beginning to learn. If his number one plan is subject to those things, what do you think your plan and my plan is going to be subject to? Come on now. If it happened to Jesus and I want to be like him, I better get a hold of what I just said. If you're going to do anything great for God, if you're purposed and promised in God, then you better get this. You're going to have a Gethsemane moment. Now, there are four important, I think, prayer effects that happened in the garden. Four important prayer effects that happened in the garden. Why is Gethsemane necessary, in other words? Why is this moment in this whole picture of what Jesus did? Is it just a little prayer stop, you know, before you get on with really the major work? You know, that's what we do. We, get, we, we have a little prayer stop before we get on with the really important stuff. Well, let me show you what happens here in Gethsemane. Number one, we begin to see where he exercises dominion over his senses. In Matthew's account, this is what we read. It said, Jesus said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. My soul, my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, that's the soul. He says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. In Luke's account, it says, and being in agony, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, the Greek is really vivid here. Jesus, it leads us to believe, is under such emotional and mental pressure. Get a hold of this now. I know what people say because when they see things that they don't want to enter into, they always write it off to Jesus' divinity. But here we see Jesus' humanity. And Jesus is under this incredible mental pressure, this incredible emotional pressure, and and it brings such pressure into his system that it breaks the vessels in between the layers of the skin. Can you begin to be under such pressure? Now, I've had pressure in my life before. I have had pressure in my life where it has solicited migraine headaches. Anybody had stress like that where you had a migraine and, and, and there's such, such pressure, this migraine is going on? Well, let me tell you, we just went from the Excedrin headache to a level that few people ever, 
ever begin to experience because most people, if they would have reached the place where they would break the blood vessels underneath that first layer of skin, most people would experience a heart attack first. And so Jesus is under incredible stress here. And add to the pressure and the stress of what's about ready to happen, he sees his closest friends, people who've been with him for three years, folks that looked him in the eye and said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, we're with you to the end, you can count on us, we've done everything, and they leave him hanging. Think about that, you are under attack, and everyone else gets a good night's sleep. No pressure on them. They ain't coming to the garden for them. Have you ever been in a pressure cooker? I mean, a real bona fide pressure cooker. I've had a couple Gethsemanes in my life. I don't believe a Gethsemane. You know, it's like I've said before. I don't believe God sends you to a wilderness once a week. Wildernesses are, are, are time periods that maybe happen once or twice in a lifetime. I think Gethsemanes are much the same way. I don't think you have a, a, a once a week Gethsemane. But I do believe that if you're moving toward your promise and your purpose, you're going to experience a Gethsemane or two. And I've had a couple Gethsemanes. I can remember and I, I can share this now. And I used to not share it because I would think people would feel less about me. And, and I've just decided, well, everybody's hiding everything. So why don't we just get it all out in the open and everybody just be real and let's just see God do a real deal thing. But I, I remember being in Oakland, California and, and dealing with the issues of the Holy Spirit and knowing that the denomination I was a part of was not going to be open to the things of the Spirit. I always chuckle when I listen to people say once they get filled with the Spirit that they're going to change a religious organization or they're going to change their denomination. They're going to be the light in the midst of the darkness. I always kind of chuckle. I let them say it. I thought the same thing years ago. I didn't realize that Jesus couldn't change the religious system. Do you know that? So I guess you got a little bit more on the ball than he did. So we'll leave you to that. But I was living under that delusion too. That I could somehow, I could be the light in the midst of the darkness. I could be the one that brought renewal. I could do this. I could do that. And you know what? You know what I got? I didn't get all. I got clinical depression. That's what I got. I got the Holy Ghost and depression. I, I mean, you don't know pressure until you've got a whole worldwide denomination putting the screws on you. Now, you may have been in a pressure cooker yourself. I'm not diminishing yours. I'm just simply saying it was a pressure cooker. You lose all your retirement. You lose the friends you went to school with. Tracy and I, to this day, we will look, we will look at our wedding pictures and we'll chuckle now because it's kind of amusing. It wasn't always funny. But we'll look now and say, do you realize not one of these people will talk to us today? None of them will. That's what the Holy Ghost got us. Lost all our friends. Hallelujah. Isn't that, isn't that good advertising to come get filled with the Spirit? Come get filled with the Spirit. Lose all your friends. No, you get filled with the Spirit and then you find out who your friends really are. But I remember, Trace will tell you this, I would go up, we had a third, three-story parsonage. I'd go up on the third floor, turn the lights out, had a rocking chair, just a cheap old, you know, I don't know, it was probably a Walmart rocking chair. And literally, turn the lights out, I can barely remember this, except I know it's true because I can, I can faintly remember. But being under such intense war and pressure and discouragement and depression, just turn the lights out on myself and just sit there and rock until a godly wife would come in. And she finally came in and said, you got to, you got to get up. 
you got to get up and we, we've got to find God again. Thank God for a godly wife. I'll never forget going through just a number of years ago now. The whole pressure situation that brought about this local church. Many people don't know there was about a 30, 60 day time period. That I had to take Ambien. And those of you who don't know what Ambien is, it's a sleep aid because I couldn't go to sleep. You aren't supposed to be on Ambien more than about a couple weeks, as I understand it, because you can get hooked on it. It took, it was 60 days of Ambien, and the Ambien would only take me out for four hours. I could only get four hours of sleep before, before the stress of it would just force me to get up again. In fact, you, you want to know, you want to know some strange things when you're in a situation that's just out of control and it's strange. Let me tell you, Tracy will say and tell you it's the truth that there was about a 60 day time period that every night exactly at two o'clock in the morning, my phone would ring once and it would wake me up and I would get it and there'd be nobody on the other end. We're talking every night. It would do that. You say, well, why didn't you take it off the hook? Because if you're a pastor, you don't take your phone off the hook. But every night it would do that. And finally, I put star 69 on it to try to figure out what was going on. And, and, and I'd pick it up. And I'd hit star 69 to figure out where it came from. But it would never, it would never uh, uh, be able to connect. So even out of star 69, I couldn't figure out where this was coming from. And listen to me. And the day, the day the whole separation took place, this is what's most interesting. The day the separation took place and it was all over, that was the night the phone stopped ringing and it never rang again. You say, you think someone was doing that? I think there was a devil doing that is what I think. I, I, I mean, how do you star 69? Hell. So, I mean, that's just my perspective. You say, well, why, why, why would God allow that type of pressure? Why would God allow that type of happening in your life? The answer that I've come to understand is so you are driven to your knees. So you begin to exercise dominion over your senses. You've got to get to the place. It's easy when everything's good. You can walk around and say, I ain't controlled by my senses. Oh, sure you are. It's everything's good and peaceful and happy and everybody thinks you're the best thing since sliced beef. You're just the best. And you go, I'm not controlled by my senses. You don't even, you are empowered by your senses because you're liking it way too much. But the minute that stuff disappears, we'll find out just how empowered your senses are. And that's why it comes because you've got to be awakened that your senses are not here to control your life. You've got to get into the spirit. You got to, you got to live out of the inner man. And, and, and I'm here to tell you again, none of this matters until you're in Gethsemane. Until you're in a crisis. And that's what Jesus began to demonstrate to us, how to exercise dominion. Secondly, at Gethsemane, there was a yielding to the will of God. A yielding to the will of God. We know that at least twice, I believe it was in Matthew's gospel, Jesus said, if it's possible, let this cup pass now what he was saying was this i really don't want to do what's in front of me i I don't i don't really want to do this now that's jesus talking do you understand jesus wasn't just kind of going big deal i'm just going to walk it out it's father's plan 
you know, that's no, there was incredible uh, internal struggle that's that's working here when he says, if it be possible, let this cup pass. I don't want to do this. I'm considering all that it means. I'm considering the cost. I'm considering the price. I'm considering the brutality. I'm considering everything. His senses, listen to me, his senses were telling him, are you sure you really want to do this? You better think this through. You better begin to consider all that's standing there before you. And it was at this point that Jesus had to internally break through the final power of his senses. He had to break through the, the, the power of, of what those senses were trying to box him into. And once he was able to break out of that, when he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. At that moment, his senses were trying to box him in. But it was at that moment that something broke and he broke out of the limitations and, and, and the chains of his senses in the midst of a crisis. You know, you know what a powerful man is? A powerful man is when he reaches to the place where he's able to say with Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The most dangerous man in the world or woman is the one who is able to say, embrace me, kill me, it don't matter to me. Do you understand how dangerous that person is? When the person finally says, it's not my life anymore. This isn't about me anymore. This isn't about what I want anymore. This is, this is about living out the purposes of God. And it was, it was there that that was settled. This is something I believe you can chew on it if you want. But I believe that the reason crosses like this, are so hard for people to bear. You know, Jesus said that every man would have to take up his cross and follow him. I believe that the reason crosses are so hard for people to bear is because so few of us settle it first in the garden. You see, the reason Jesus could go through what he went through wasn't because he was tougher necessarily than us. It wasn't because he was more of a man. It wasn't because of his divinity. It wasn't because, listen, I know some of you, I'm going to, I'm going to turn your theology and I hope to upside down. I believe he could bear his cross because he settled it at Gethsemane. He just settled it. I, I, I would actually teach this. I believe that while it is true, there was the historical happening of him dying on a cross and being the once and for all sacrifice for sin. This is what I believe. I believe that he died long before the cross in that garden. I believe it was in that garden that at that moment it was done. It was settled in his heart. He had to walk some things out. But it was done back there in the garden of Gethsemane. That's where he yielded. That's where he yielded his will to the fathers. For the longest time, and I've told this, I won't belabor the point. But this city, I'm just here to tell you, this city was my cross. It was, it was my cross. Every time I'd cross a bridge, come into town... From the north, it was a cross. I, I'll just be honest with you. There was a season. Now that's, I'm, I'm getting to the good news. But there was a season. I hated Charleston. I wanted to say, holy city, my. But I'm too holy to say the rest of that. I hated it. I hated it. I hated what it had done to me. What it had done to my wife. What it had done to my family. I hated it. I hated it. I wanted, I wanted this cup to pass. 
You say, weren't you called here? Well, yes. Just like you were called to the last church you were at, but God led you. Just like you were called to your last relationship, but God led you out. You know, I understand how called works. Don't you throw that called stuff at me. I'll jump in your call. Weren't you called? Yeah, well, of course I was called here. I just didn't land here. I felt called here. But there's a moment you can know your calling. Jesus knew his calling. He taught about his calling. He instructed long before Gethsemane that the temple would be destroyed and rebuilt. He understood exactly where this was heading. And he still said, if it be possible, let this cup pass. He knew his calling. I know what I'm called to do. And I still said, can this cup not pass? And it wasn't until I went to my Gethsemane. And my Gethsemane happened in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, several years ago now. And I found my garden and I found the place. And I got before the Lord and I heard His voice finally. And I was able to say, and yes, it happens to pastors, nevertheless, not my will, but Thy will be done. Thy will be done. No, you may never get your face on charisma. No, you may never get plastered in the newspapers. No, all the other dreams and things, good, bad, ugly, carnal, spiritual, all the other things, they are gone. It is all about your will, God. It is all about your will. It's all about that. How about you? Have you you realized that the stressful crucible that you may be in actually may be your Garden of Gethsemane? Where you determine that as much as you'd like that cup to pass. See, that's what we pray. We pray, it can't be God anymore. I lost all my favor. So it can't be God. Not favored anymore. It's not like it was. It's not that, can you imagine Jesus going, well, must not be. But I guess it's time for me to go to another city now. Must not, must, I must, my favor has lifted off Jerusalem. No, no, he understood what he was called to do. You've got to get to the place where you understand what you're called to do. And you've got to yield to the will of God. Good times, bad times, you yield to the will of God. Thirdly, there was, there was another effective prayer in the garden. And there was strength to avoid temptation of quitting. They all kind of fit together. We all know that his disciples basically quit on him. They all ran out. They're all gone. Scattered every which direction. I suspect... As any human would feel, he may have felt a little weak or he may have felt a little vulnerable. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, it's interesting. As he looks at the disciples and they're snoozing, some of them, gives them a rebuke. And then he says an interesting phrase. He says this. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But it's interesting that in Luke's account here, I was just reading, and I don't know that I ever saw this before. But in verse 43, it says here in Luke's account... That as he's praying and he's going through these things, it says that an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. In the midst of this incredibly unjust, unfair, out of control, over the top situation. He's praying and an angel shows up to strengthen him. Now, I want you just to file that for just a minute in your mind. Remember that, that an angel shows up. It's going to be very important again here in just a moment. But what this means is this, as he's praying, he he begins to see that, that, you know, ultimately you may not be able to count on your friends and you may not be able to count on your family. 
And everybody that said they'd be with you may walk out on you. But God, in the midst of Gethsemane, God will send an angel. He will send angelic help to strengthen you and to empower you and to recharge you. And so before you quit the call of God, before you quit the will of God, you need to get before the Lord and, and, and begin to cry out to God and give Him a chance. He's not going to strengthen you unless you're on your knees, broken before Him, and He begins to see that. And then all of a sudden He says, send angelic help their direction. Now, it didn't stop it, but it strengthened Him. It strengthened Him. Come on, we're the church. We are the church in hostile territory. We are the church in... in a time period where people are going to not like us. I was listening this morning to a, a fairly notable TV minister and he was really sharing some great things. He was saying things that we wouldn't even have stood for 20 years ago on, on, on television and, and before us and in our music and on our radios and all the things. Nowadays, we just think our, our everyday ordinary occurrences and now when we preach truth, people think we're crazy. They think we're nuts. They think I am nuts. I, I understand my reputation. I understand Pastor Bear, boy, he, he calls it straight. You know, he's, he can be tough. He, he's going to declare holiness. You're right, because that's normal Christianity. You, you see, we sang it this morning. God is unchangeable and unstoppable and unmovable. He didn't change. We have changed and you're going to be in a situation where everybody leaves you hanging and you're out to dry and you're going to say to yourself, have I lost my mind too? And you'll begin to get double minded and you'll begin to think, maybe I am crazy. Maybe I am too hard. Maybe I, maybe I'm not like I'm supposed to be. And God wants to snap you out of that. And he's going to send you angels to shake you out of that and tell you, no, no, that's not true. You can be the last one standing and you may even have to give your life, but you can still change your world even in that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Strength to avoid the temptation of quitting. Don't quit. Don't quit until you pray and let God have a chance to strengthen you. Number four, one of the effects of prayer is demonstrating, and I'm going to linger here, demonstrating dominion in the midst of the drama. This was the most dramatic effect of all because when Jesus arose from this arduous, agonizing prayer time, knowing full well that he was about to walk into the most intense, painful time any person would ever face in human history, he exercised absolute dominion over it all. It is easy for us as human beings because we identify with it so quickly. It is easy for us to see the sacrifice, the injustice, the unfairness. We see all the ways that Jesus was misused and abused. It's very easy for us as human beings to see that aspect of the story. But we tend to miss the dominion part. The dominion part is a critical part because if Jesus, who, if you'll recall, is our example, he is our prototype, he is the first fruit of many, meaning us, if Jesus can exercise dominion in the worst of human circumstances, it should cause us to begin to see what our rights are, obviously through prayer, 
to do the same thing. Now, are you getting this? Are you getting where I'm going here? I understand if I called you to lay down your life, to sacrifice, you know, to give your life up for some. I mean, we can identify with all that that means, but get a hold of this. Jesus, while all of that was certainly true, and as he was going through this, it was not just that, it was also the dominion. He was exercising dominion in a way that you and I have not walked into, nor have we totally comprehended. Now, how is that manifested? And this is the part that I'm going to try to make practical for you. Because I'm telling you, some of you right now, right at this very moment, you're in a stressful, difficult, unjust, unfair situation. Some of you perhaps have just gotten out of one. Some of you may know there's one just ahead for you. I'll assure you, all of us in here are human beings and we will face them. But we better understand that as we pray, there is a reason and an effect of prayer that can begin to happen in these mortal bodies that Jesus demonstrates to us that will cause us, even in the midst of an out-of-control situation, to see dominion take place. Now watch this. How is this manifested? Now those of you that know the story of the Garden of Gethsemane will instantly know the point that I'm about ready to make when I say this. How many soldiers does it take to arrest one man? How many soldiers does it take to arrest one man? In three of the gospel accounts, we are told various words, one of the words being a multitude, there are other words that are used as well. But apparently there was a sizable group of Roman soldiers along with temple police. Now, I, I could go into all of the background to be a Roman soldier and all the background to be a temple policeman. Can I just cut to the chase and tell you these were bad dudes? I, I mean, really what they did was they took criminals and made them soldiers. And they got this sizable group of police and soldiers to come and arrest Jesus, whom, because of Judas and his betrayal, knew would be alone that night. Now, isn't that interesting? The word multitude, and the other words as well confirm this, it says that there was an enormous crowd. And I began to look that up. I was just kind of curious as to what others had to say about that. And there are people who say there were up to and around six. Hundred uh, law enforcement people there that night. Six hundred law enforcement with weapons. Now understand, they didn't come weaponless. They all got their swords. They've got their clubs. They've got whatever it is they fight with, and they all show up that day to arrest one guy. Now, why is that? Started to ask myself that question. Why is that? I counted up the number of times in Scripture that I could find. That Jesus was in a hostile situation and he was able to supernaturally, get this, slip away from the crowd. Now those of you that have read through the Gospels will know that this occurred. I found at least four different occasions. I'm going to just tell you real quickly. Luke 4.30, after he reads his announcement in Nazareth and comes down off the platform, the people are in an uproar. They want to throw him off a cliff and the Bible says that he's able to move through the crowd. He supernaturally escapes the crowd. In John 7, verse 30. In John 8, verse 59. 
in John 10, verse 39. These are all instances of where Jesus is backed almost into a corner. A crowd is hostile with him. It appears as if they're going to hurt him, abuse him. And he says something to the effect that time is not yet or things of this nature. And supernaturally, he has the ability to be able to move through the crowd. I don't know how that works. I don't know if he disappeared. I don't know if they parted sort of like the Red Sea. I don't know how it exactly worked. But the Bible is clear that he was able to walk through that crowd and nobody touched him. Now, I tell you that. Simply to say, don't think they did not know that Jesus did not have supernatural ability to resist them. Don't think they didn't know by virtue of his reputation that if there were three or six hundred of these soldiers that were coming up, that Jesus, because he'd done it before, could somehow supernaturally slip away from them again. And I just got a little personal revelation at this point. Listen to me. I may have to walk through some injustice and some unfairness. I may have to experience the pain of lies and other things that are thrown my direction. But let me just tell you, I can still demonstrate supernatural power in my life, even if there's drama going on around it. Jesus walked out the will of God. This was important because they weren't going to come and, and, and have the ability to seize him. Jesus was going to have the ability to say, no, this is the moment. Now is the time. And he walked out the will of God. He was not target practice for the enemy. Our problem is we go through crises and we, we are target practice for the enemy. And I believe we may walk through crises, but we don't have to take the shots of the enemy. So there are four things that happen. Now listen to me, this is really cool. I really had not considered this. Four things that happened that he demonstrated this, this ability even in Gethsemane. Number one, in the Gospel of John, John 18, number one is that when the soldiers came up and he came out of prayer, he knocked the soldiers to the ground. Listen to this, John 18, this is in the garden, verse 4 through 6. It said, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, whom are you seeking? Now, he had just got up out of his prayer time in Gethsemane. And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now, when he said to them, I am he, listen to this, they drew back and fell to the ground. Is that not wild? Think about that. When Jesus said, he gets up out of his prayer time and, and, and all these soldiers, 600 of them, and he says, I am he. The moment he said, I am he, there was a blast of the power of God that took hundreds of armed soldiers, hear me now, armed soldiers and police off their feet. The word literally means they went backward and it was used in order to describe those who were like a corpse. They fell like a corpse. They fell flat. Trained soldiers of war. Trained temple police. Jesus comes up out of prayer, says, I am he, and all of a sudden hundreds of them are hit the ground. Now the next time your dispensational cessationist friend tells you that all that slain in the spirit stuff is hooey, go take him to John 18. And six, ask those Roman soldiers if it's all a bunch of hooey. Jesus wasn't taken by force. You got to understand, he wasn't being seized by force. He was walking out the Father's plan. 
God doesn't promise perfect circumstances, but he does promise power in every circumstance to do his will. Listen to me. You and I have to be so attuned to what God's asking of us to do that we're not this, 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 this buoy in an ocean just being tossed here, there, and everywhere. And, and we say, what in the world's going on? We've got to get a hold of the fact that God... God is in charge of my life. He is in control. The steps of the righteous are ordered. I am called by God. I'm walking out the will of God. All things work together for my good, even in the midst of a terrible situation. And you're not taking me to my destruction. It may be hard and I might not enjoy it, but I'm going to the will of God. Glory to God. You can take me to my cross and nail me up there and I'll rise again. So you got to get that in your spirit. Number two, what else did he do? Well, it says here that he recreated an ear. All three accounts tell us that Peter did something impetuous again. All this starts happening and he decides he's going to pull his sword and he cuts off the servant of the high priest called Malchus, cuts his ear off. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us again exactly what happened. I would have thought it would have told us that Jesus would have bent down, picked the ear up. And glued it back on there again or something. I don't, I don't know exactly. But, but I've come to believe that probably as it got cut, I don't know, it, it was probably mangled. I just believe he laid hands on it and he recreated an ear. Is that not incredible to have such dominion, even under such incredibly difficult circumstances? To recreate, to have the power of God to recreate an ear. He did it. He did it. In the midst of this terrible time, but he'd come up out of his prayer time. Then number three, what else was going on? I put down here angelic intervention. Angelic intervention. In Matthew's gospel, just want to read again, Matthew 26, 53. 26, 53. Again, he tells Peter to put away his sword. In verse 53, he says, Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father? And he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels. He looked at Peter and he said, dude, put away the penknife. <laughs> you slicing the dude's ear isn't going to help matters at all. You're the only one probably with a sword here beside these 600. Put it away. He says, don't you know that I could pray and 12 legions would come? Well, how does he, how does he know that? How would he have confidence in that fact? Well, you'd say, well, he's Jesus. Well, no, it's because as he was praying, an angel showed up. An angel had showed up and was strengthening him. And as he's strengthening him, Jesus gets the confidence to say, I, I understand. I've got some backup here. You know, let me just share this with you. You know what a legion is? A legion, I'm told, is about 6,000. One legion is 6,000 soldiers. He said, I could call 12 legions. 12 legions times 6,000 means that he could call 72,000 angels. 72,000 angels. Now, I just, you know, this is just something I do. I thought, well, I wonder how powerful an angel is. You know, just, just an angel. It's interesting. I'm going to give you this verse and you can read it later. Isaiah 37, 36. Isaiah 37, 36. It says this, that one angel, one, everyone say one. One angel killed 185,000 men 
in one night. One angel. Now, one legion of angels, if you do the math, and I've done the math for you, they could handle one le- one le- one say one one legion one legion could handle 1.11 billion people which means 12 legions could handle more than twice the people living on the earth right now assuming that one angel maxed his power out at 185K. Hebrews 1.14 says this. Do you not know. That as the inheritors of salvation. You know who that is. That's us right. Do you not know. That there are ministering servants. Who are given to you. I don't know how many I got. I, I, I figure I could prove about two. I'm sure I keep them busy. Some of you keep yours real busy. Imagine, um, imagine that, that as you come out of your prayer time, you want something real practical, that there is an, an ability, a confidence to be able to come up out of your prayer time And to have at your disposal angelic help. That is not just enough. That is overwhelmingly more than enough for you to walk out the will of God. They aren't there to circumvent the will of God. You understand that. They didn't stop the will of God. They weren't there to circumvent the will of God. They weren't there just to make it easy for Jesus. Jesus already settled that one earlier when the enemy told him to jump off, you know, the cliff and there wouldn't uh, be there. An angel wouldn't allow his uh, foot to be dashed against a stone. And Jesus said, listen, that's not the verse we're going to use for this one. We're going to use the one you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. That's the one we're using because I'm walking out the will of God. I'm not here just for an angel show. I'm here to walk out God's purposes. But imagine that's the effect of prayer. The effect of prayer is angelic help. And then finally, let me just read this one to you because I just started reading this and this just really tickled me. Number four, this is out of the garden. There was the raising of the dead. He said, I don't remember that happening in the garden. Well, you're about to get it right here. Mark 14, 51. Mark 14, 51. It's kind of an obscure verse. In Mark's gospel, Judas has betrayed him. They seized him. Peter cuts the ear off. Everybody's forsaking him, it says in verse 50, and flees. And then in verse 51, it says this. Listen, Mark 14, 51. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth. Now underline linen cloth in your Bible, because this is the key to it all. He says, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young men laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Now, I've heard people in different ways try to say that was Mark, you know, running around, you know, in a toga of some sort, and and, and he would just happen to be there. I don't believe that to be true at all. In fact, the word linen cloth, I'm just going back, because I believe in inspiration. I believe the Bible's an inspired book. 
I believe the Holy Spirit breathed. It is God breathed. He breathed into people words that they would write down his scripture. And that that same Holy Spirit would use words in order to help us understand what was being communicated here. And there are three, four, five times I could go and show you the word for linen cloth. It was always used. This word linen cloth was always used for those who were being wrapped for burial. And here's this young man. I don't know how long he'd been dead. I don't know what all had been taking place. But I know this. When Jesus stood up and he looked at the Roman soldiers, when they asked Are you Jesus? And he said, I am he. At that moment, I am he. I am was loose. And I am took out 600 soldiers, knocked them to the ground. And there was such power that was released at that moment that this boy who had to be in a tomb nearby all of a sudden woke up from the dead. Naked, listen, naked as a jaybird. He still had his burial cloth around him and he's just walking out seeing what's going on. And they tried to lay hold of him, and then they couldn't even get a hold of him. Amazing power. And and all of that doesn't surprise me about Jesus really all that much. But what surprises me is that he is in the midst of a situation, a Gethsemane, that is over the top, crisis-filled, the most difficult thing he'd ever faced, nor would any being face in all of human history. He really wants this cup to pass. He's struggling at that moment just like any of us would be. But he comes to the place of obedience. He settles the will of God. He stands up and he says, I am he and power's release. Blow me away. There are moments, listen, I I can't say that I've always got it, but I'm getting it. That you're going to be in an incredible, difficult heart-wrenching, unjust, unfair moment, and you're going to have to get on your knees. And your Gethsemane may be your bedroom. Your Gethsemane may be a quick walk to the restroom at your place of employment. Your Gethsemane may be a lunchtime in your car where you're just sort of eating that leftover sandwich and that's all you got and It's just incredibly hard in that office and you're looking at that door and you're saying, I don't want to go back in. I don't know where your Gethsemane will be, but you're going to be at that moment and you're going to cry out to God and you're going to say, Lord, I don't like this. I don't want this. Lord, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, I want your will. I want your purposes. I want your promise, Lord. I may never... Listen, Jesus couldn't get to the throne unless he went through the cross. You're not going to get to your destiny unless you go through your cross. Come on now. You say, well, I don't like that. I can go somewhere else and hear that. Well, you just go there and you just find out. I'm going to get you. I'm getting a people. If I only get a few people, a handful of people to destiny, it'll be worth it. Just a handful. It, It don't take many. I want this cup to pass, but nevertheless, I want your will. I want your promise. I know you called me for this moment. I know this is the moment that could take me out or take me over. 
to my promise. Lord, strengthen me. Strengthen me. Give me the strength to do what others would run from. Give me the strength to do what others would sleep through. Give me the strength. Give me the strength, Lord, to to rise up from this place and to see your power come into me to such a dimension, Lord, that my senses will no longer rule. But your spirit in me will rule. And hear me, this is the cool part. And maybe it'll just be the voice of the Lord. I don't know, it could be, could be someone, in, come, someone in your office or someone at your school. It could be someone just taunting you that'll look at you as you're getting up from your prayer time and they'll look and go, you a Christian? You a believer? You a disciple? You, you, you're one of those followers of Jesus? And this is what you do. All you have to do is say, I am he. That's me. Are you Jesus of Nazareth? Yep. Are you really a born again believer? Yep. You one of those spirit filled people? Yep. I'm he. You, 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 you guys talk in that tongue stuff, don't you? Yep. 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 In fact, I was just out there in my car practicing that stuff. Y'all got the snakes in the back and you just... No. (laughs) You believe in the power of God? Yeah. You're really one of those? I am he. And as you put it all together, power power dominion they may lead you to a cross they just don't know that three days later you're coming back they may roll a stone up cover you up they just don't know there's an angel coming roll it away that's the effects of prayer See, that's why we got to pray. You you see, that's why a marketing strategy looks so small compared to praying. That's why all the ways of man and all the ways of the world and all the little strategies, they've got a place. I'm not saying they don't have a place. They've got a place. But it doesn't have the place that supersedes the place of prayer. I don't want to access Wall Street. I want to access that street. get, Get me to Gethsemane. Gethsemane Road. Amen. Incredible things can happen. Would you stand with me, please? Hallelujah. Don't, don't, don't put any music behind me yet, guys. Don't do that quite yet. Just leave it quiet for just a moment. Hallelujah. Right where you're at, just begin to seek the Lord. Would you do that? Would you just begin to tell him that you love him and that you're committed to him? Come on, just just reconfirm and recommit and just begin to allow your heart to reach out to him right now. I know some of you are in very, very difficult moments and it's very hard to pray when you're in a, in a difficult moment. It's agony. 
It's agony. It's stressful. You don't know what to pray about. Every time you try to pray, you just cry and you just don't even know how to begin to speak. And I don't know that oftentimes you need a lot of words. Sometimes there's just groanings and utterings, the scripture says. All you can do is just groan. And God can interpret the groanings. He, interpre- he interprets those utterances too. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, I just invite you right now to come and to move amongst us as a people. Holy Spirit, go up and down the aisle and around the seats. And Lord, I know you love people. You died in order that you could have a relationship with people. So I know you love absolutely unqualified, over-the-top love everybody that's in this room this morning. There's not one that is here that could say, well, he wouldn't love me. And that's simply a lie that we break right now in Jesus' name, that you love everybody in this room. And Lord, you gave your life, and that was, that was just an incredible act of love and redemption. And Lord, you're calling us just to lay our lives down. What you ask is that we don't give you just junk, we just give you ourselves, we just give you our lives, and that you, you desire to live big in us. And you demonstrated what we could have what we could have, what we could enjoy. Lord, I don't know all that happened exactly internally with you after that moment you stood up and started walking it out. I still have to imagine there were things that hurt. But Lord, I am amazed at your steadfastness. I am amazed at your strength. I am amazed at how you knew when to open your mouth and when to keep your mouth shut. I'm amazed. I'm amazed at your wisdom when everybody's throwing things at you. I'm amazed at your self-control and your restraint. I'm amazed. And Lord, I tell you today, I want to be like you. I really want to be like you. Forgive me, Lord, for the moments I've not been like you. I don't know whether I meant it or not. I just sometimes was ignorant. I suspect sometimes I knew. But Lord, I tell you right now in your presence, I want to be like you. How about, how about you, congregation? Do you want to be like him too? I hope you do. Gary, go ahead and spin that one, you are awesome. The same one we used last week, you are awesome. Just, just, just a moment, I'll tell you to push that. Dan, if you have those words, you can get ready to put them up on the screen. March is the month of prayer, and so we're, gonna, we're just going to use this month to pray. Prayer is the work of the ministry. We can give invitations for salvation, and we can do the things we need to do, and we will. But hear me, I think God is creating and we're becoming a house of prayer. And I just want to make sure we get that in our culture. I don't want it to be a one, two sermon thing and we go on to something else. Let's get this in our culture. The culture of who we are as a people. The culture of who we are as Christians. The culture of this local church. They pray. They do a lot of great things. Maybe, maybe there'll be a day when everything we do is just absolutely excellent and great. And, and, but they pray. They pray. They pray. There's some of you right now I'm telling you right now that this morning, this altar at this church 
says to you, this is your Gethsemane. This is your Gethsemane. If you need to come to your Gethsemane this morning, you can say, somewhere in your life, you can say, I was, I was in the middle of an incredible moment and, and I had to find my Gethsemane. And, and I believe that this morning, this is your Gethsemane for you to yield your life. See, I got saved years ago. That's great. I don't know that we always yield all that we need to yield. But in these last moments, these last moments, I know there's some, I can sense the Holy Spirit telling me, He's saying, open up the altars. Open up the altars. There are some that I'm drawing to a Gethsemane right now. You're going to settle it this morning. You're going to settle the will of God for your life. You're going to settle the call of God on your life this morning. You're facing something maybe tomorrow morning, and you would so like to run. But I'm telling you, the Spirit of God is saying, don't run. Don't run away. Settle it now. Settle it now. Come on right now. If you need to seek God before you go this morning. The altars are open. Settle it. Settle it. Settle it. You may be saying, I want it to pass. You don't understand, Pastor. I've even been praying. I've been praying for it to pass. Jesus did too. Jesus said, if it be possible, let this pass. Let it pass. Let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Come on, just a few moments. Just a few moments. If God's talking to you about this, this is one of the most empowering moments. What do you do? What do you do with someone who has just literally died to the will of God? What can you do to them? Once Jesus stood up, what could they really do to him anymore? Nothing. Nothing. The effects of prayer. Let's begin to sing. Turn it up just a little. Let's sing right now. As I come into your presence, past the gates of praise, into your sanctuary, to a standing face today. I look upon your countenance, I see the fullness of your grace, I can only bow down, say, yeah, yeah. Come on, let's all you are awesome, you are awesome. You are awesome in this place. I'm a father. Yeah, yeah. You are worthy of my praise. To you, our lives we raise. You are awesome in this place. You just do your work right now.
what we're going to do right now. I know you're singing and you're worshiping. But right now, I, I may do this all the month of March. I don't know if I'll do it anymore. But I'm calling the church down right now. I'm calling people to come and pray right into the wells. Come on. It's gonna, I know around here we usually have tapped leaders. And, and we have people who are connect people. And I understand that's how we do it. And we'll probably go back to doing that. And, and I understand that right now I'm just calling people to move in amongst these that have coming in to seek God, to pray. Come on in and pray. Come on in. Just gather around. Come on, let it get a little messy and let it get a little noisy. Come on, we've been so antiseptic and sterile that we need to start beginning to hear. Hear the tears and hear the cries. And hear, hear the voice of intercession begin to come again. Come on, I want, whether you're still standing or whether you're down front here with these people, come on, let's begin to pray right now. Let's pray, oh God, right now, oh God, we just declare to you right now. We declare to you right now, we need you. We desire you. Come on, Lord, we yield our lives to the will of God today. We settle the call. We, we, we settle the dealings of God in our life today in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We settle it right now. I, I wanted it to pass. I, I, I didn't want all that was there. I love you. I, I, you know I love you. But Lord, I have been struggling. Well, today the agony and the struggle is settled in the name of Jesus. This is my Gethsemane. I am settling the will of God right now. Lord, I'm signing up. I'm declaring my allegiance. I'm going with you and I'm not turning back. The sacrifice doesn't scare me. The cost doesn't scare me. I declare I am yours right now. My life is not my own. My life is not my own. Come on, Galatians 2.20 says, For I have been crucified with Christ. So now it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that's what you're entering into. Come on, you're entering into that moment where you say, this is, this is the moment. This is, you're burning the ships. There's no going back. The waters of the Jordan have come back again. You can't go back to Egypt and you can't go back to your wilderness. All you've got is your promise. And God's saying, now is the time to consecrate yourself. To consecrate yourself. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Come on, begin to congregation. Ask the Lord now to give you a spirit of intercession. Ask the Lord right now to begin to give you the burden to pray. Ask Him right now and say, Lord, let me be one of the burden bearers, one of the gap standers. Lord, let me be one of the people, Lord, that when I say I'll be praying for you, that I'll go back to my car or back to my office or back to my desk and I'll pray for them in Jesus' name. Lord, let me break off me the phony baloney in the name of Jesus. All the religious, trite little phrases and saying, we'll be praying for you. Lord, I, I assume the mantle of prayer in the name of Jesus. I take upon myself, Lord, the yoke of intercession in the name of Jesus. Come on, don't say you don't have time. You've got time for just about anything. Hallelujah. Lord, we intercede today believing your word that as Jesus stood, he stood. And when he said, I am he, 
There was power. 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 Hey, if I were to ask you right now, are you a Christian? I want you, I want you to say though, say, I am he or I am she. Are you a Christian? Are you a disciple? Are you one of those Christ followers? You're one of them spirit-filled people? <laughs> you believe in the present power of God? You're, you know. Really? Really. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's just bless the Lord now before we go. We're going to we're going to leave here in just about 60 seconds. It's going to all be over.